So, but you're right. People suck, you know, and, and so what do we do? You know, looking like a true Calvinist. I know. I was going to say that's where I am a Calvinist, right? <laughs> we do terrible things to each other. We're well, you know, whenever people are involved, it's always going to get messy at some point. Exactly. People it's suck. People <laughs> sucked. Show title. <laughs> Welcome to episode 51 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft-brewed pint, a fine wine, or maybe just a glass of water. You can watch us live Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com, and you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher, as well as the New Thought channel on your Roku or other streaming device. And tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. First, Ump Crafts Beer Cellar. Their primary focus on amazing beer, education, and hospitality. Visit Craft Beer Cellar, that's C E L L A R, for a location near you, craftbeercellar.com. And you can win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar by joining our conversation. Um, as a matter of fact, this month is the last month you have an opportunity to win beer from Craft Beer Cellar. Uh, we will no longer be the beneficiaries of their generous sponsorship, but we are so grateful they um, work with us as long as they did. Um, so you can comment on Facebook or Twitter. Please use the hashtag PTLive so that we can find your comments. Or you can call and leave a message on our Casual Priest hotline. Casual Priest is that Swedish company that makes the totally cool clergy wear. So if you are a clergy person or you know, someone who is a clergy person and maybe needs to update their look. Just don't don't tell them that. Just like <laughs> gift them with the thing. Uh, call and leave us a voicemail. The Casual Priest Hotline. That's 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. And you'll be entered to win some contemporary clergy attire. Excellent. Give us a ring. And our wine sponsor is Wink Wine Club. That's Wink with a C. And they feature superbly crafted wines delivered right to your door. And if you get started at trywink.com slash ptlive, you'll get $20 off your first order. And I believe if you order four bottles of wine, you get free shipping. So hard to beat that. Check out Wink Wine Club. Well, tonight we are discussing spiritual wounds. Can one recover from a hurtful church experience? And if so, how? We'll also discuss church attendance and why people might be leaving the church, might be related to those wounds, and why others might be coming back. And we'll chat a little bit about Holy Week, which we're in the middle of here, and which parts of that really connect with us, or perhaps we've found a new angle on. And to help us with all of that, we are joined once again by guest Carol Howard Merritt, author of the new book, Healing Spiritual Wounds, Reconnecting with a Loving God After Experiencing a Hurtful Church. So, Carol, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. 
Oh my god, I for I forgot to get my co I forgot to have my copy of your book. I made notes. I had to <laughs> uh, grab it at some point. All right. I was reading it and um I, I, I love I love your storytelling style of writing. It mm. it, oh. it was just beautiful and as I messaged you on Facebook at one point, I wish I had this book when I was in college, when I, when I had my like really first crisis of faith that, that, you know, made me break away from church and um, my um, religion of upbringing, this book yeah. would have made like a world of difference. For nice. Me. nice. Good to hear. Good to hear. Mm. I mean, yeah, well, not good that, you know, I hadn't written it 20 years ago, but I was still kind of living it then. So right. <laughs> Exactly. Well, if you're a regular listener, you'll know my name is Brian Burkoff. I am pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan, and author of the book Pub Theology, Beer Conversation, and God. And tonight I am drinking a Bruegel Bach beer from Belgium. And uh, we are joined, as usual, by Ogan Holder. Welcome, Ogan. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I am Reverend Ogan Holder, Minister of Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And can I just finally say, spring has arrived in New England. Woohoo! Hey! 80 degrees today and oh, yesterday. The motorcycle is out of storage. I was I was riding my Triumph Bonneville through the through the woods and the streets and along the river today it's this is this is heaven i'm so happy um for that um so i'm author of rants and revelations and you can also check me out a blog weekly at unity on the river.org and um you can watch um, any of my services there anytime as well i am drinking um a kentucky bourbon barrel blackberry porter it's holy spring. cow roll out the fruity beers and my one of my favorite beers of all time is the kentucky bourbon barrel ale i don't know if you try that but it mm. it's, it is awesome i mean you, you know that that uh that kind of like sweet earthiness of bourbon you get it with the ale so then throw some blackberry mm. kind of on top of it in the porter style and it is yeah it's it's tasty Wow, yeah, that's that sounds like a whole evening right there. It is, and I and I pop you up from craft beer cellar. So well done, well done. So it is a holy week here, friends. And our first question um, says: If you could only attend church on one of these days, which would it be? Would it be Christmas? And this could be Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service or Easter. Now, are you asking for us as ministers or congregants? Well, that's a good. You could you could frame it both ways. You could say attending. I might prefer this, and if it's leading, obviously that's a different animal. So you could answer that way as well. Mm. Uh, hmm. We'll, we'll let our guests go first. You got a thought, Carol? All right. Yeah. Well, my birthday is Christmas Eve, so mm. the service like ruins my birthday every year. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. So, yeah, <laughs> having to share a birthday with Jesus kind of sucks. Mm. So, <laughs> so mm. Easter, Easter for sure. Yeah, <laughs> feel your pain. Oh, <laughs> um, I gotta, I gotta tell you that for me, um, if if it had to be one of the two, it it would be Christmas because I mean, for me, there's there's so much 
I think more of for lack of a better term, something magical about Christmas, mm. you know, the lights, the decorations, there's, there's that sense of exuberance. It actually feels less religious than Easter. If that makes any sense at all, <laughs> you know, it feels less about a, a church ritual and more about cello. And, and maybe this is because of the cross-cultural appeal that it's also mm-hmm. more and more of a secular holiday as well. But I think everybody, whether they're religious or not, kind of can get on board more with Christmas than they can Easter. Um, mm. And, um, you know, Christmas Eve candlelight service is just a beautiful thing. So um, I, I go with that as well. But um, I'm, I'm realizing more and more as a minister that both services, Christmas and Easter, are the hardest services to write talks for because, like, how, how are you going to say it different year after year after year? <laughs> Right. Yeah. How are you going to say it different? And it also feels like the stakes are raised because it's such a significant service. Yeah. You got to bring your A game. Kaboom. Speaking <laughs> of that, I, I got to run, guys. I have to write an Easter message. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> what are you wasting your time with uh, us? No. For? Drinking mm-hmm. beer, talking to you guys. I'm, I'm hoping this will give me the content for my Easter talk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think I would go with Ogan and lean towards Christmas Eve um, for many of the reasons he mentioned. I like that it's an evening service uh, that brings, you know, and it's it's uh, toward the end of the, or it's toward the winter solstice, so it's dark out and the candles are brighter and the lights. And yeah, and it does just seem that it brings everyone together. Whereas with Easter, I feel like there's always that tension of, well, it's for the in-group or people who really believe or I don't know. I mean, I like Easter. Don't get me wrong, but everyone likes a baby. So just going to say. There you go. There you go. Crucifixion's not so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I mean, yeah, if we're talking Holy Week, I, I think I I kind of like a Good Friday service. That's a, I mean, it's somber, but it's so rich and so powerful. Yes. Yes, it, it can be. It, it it can be. Yeah. So there's speak- all that fertility stuff though around Easter, you know, all of that all of the the rabbits and the eggs and you know, we don't we don't really talk about natality very much and, and there is that celebration of of uh kind of fecundity in Easter that's kind of nice. I mean, that's obviously true. Christmas is about a birth but but there's also i don't know there's that in easter as well i think the problem with easter is trying to explain how a rabbit's laying eggs i think (laughs) kind of just like that's rough that's rough you know you you got to play into those pagan rituals you know yes yes, you you do definitely have to uh yeah (laughs) it's the necklace and it helps at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, Easter's happening around springtime. So there is that whole, mm-hmm. like, nature is providing the great metaphor for reawakening and, and coming out of the doldrums and the darkness and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So yes. There's, there's that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's well well said, Carol, to connect that uh, fecundity and and. Um, the birthing of spring with Easter. Uh, you're right. I think I tend to think, well, there's a literal birth that with Christmas and the baby. Um, but yeah, spring is full, full of those, full of those metaphors. Whole, or is that a whole other show? That's a whole other show. Was it a literal? <laughs> I don't know. Was it a pretend birth? Was it a myth, mythical? 
metaphorical birth. <laughs> oh man. So as we think about Holy Week, are there particular parts that resonate or connect with you as you think about the scope of the week's events? It was Palm Sunday this past Sunday. And of course the entry into Jerusalem. Um, there's the cursing of the fig tree. Um, the uh, anointing of Jesus with the oil. There's the overturning the tables in the temple. It's the last That's my favorite supper. There's, there's <laughs> Judas tables. betrayal. There's Jesus in the garden, there's the arrest, you know, all of it, crucifixion, mm -hmm. Holy Saturday, Easter. Hogan, you said you liked the tables. The I like I like I like the tables because I the, the the parts about that week I like best are the parts that highlight the human struggle of Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, we 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 see him so often as, you know, come on, the the prince of peace, you know, the 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 person preaching the message of of love yeah but then he goes into this temple and gets so pissed off you love it that that, <laughs> that he's overturning tables did you see my post on facebook today <laughs> of course that question you know when someone asks you what would jesus do remember that flipping tables and whipping people is a viable option <laughs> he, he did that and as i like to say you know it, it, in I forget which gospel it was, but the words are he braided a whip. So you got to imagine the kind of smoldering anger that had to be there for him to go like gather materials and actually braid something to go beat people with. Like that's real premeditated violence right there. So, mm -hmm. so the fact that he could show that side as well, um, I think it, it, it makes me feel better about me. <laughs> I'll be selfish. It makes me feel better that when I have my moments of anger or judgment or or less than, you know, leading by divine example, that, you know, I, I it's it's okay. There's there's hope for me yet. So that's that's why that's why I like the the temple and the whipping and the fig tree thing. I don't care what anybody tells me. I think he was. I think he got hangry. He was hungry. He was cranky. No figs on the tree. He was angry. <laughs> and, okay. and he just cursed that tree. You know, there are some people who, when they're really hungry, it, they it, get crabby. It takes a turn, man. It, it does. <laughs> that happens in our house. Right, I won't say who. What are your favorites, Carol? <laughs> I think the anointing, yeah, it's always been a big one for me. So, yes, yeah, say, say a little bit about that. What, what, uh, well, just you know, there's there's so many um interesting parts about it. You know, here you have this woman, and there's a lot of feminist theology. Um, uh, people who will look at, I think it's the one in Luke where you know, Jesus says, Oh, from now on, whenever the good news is preached, it will be done in, in the name of her, and then yes. they. They never say who it is. <laughs> they never really? say her name in the passage, in, in that particular passage. And then there's all these questions about, well, was she Mary Magdalene? Was she yeah. a sex worker? Was she, you know, who was she exactly? Was she filled with demons? Was she, you know, what? So, so here she is, this like really shady woman, but she's, 
you know, preparing Jesus for what's to come. And there's just, there's, it's just such a rich and powerful passage and um, absolutely this incredibly powerful moment, particularly for Jesus. And then we just totally flub it in, you know, in writing it down. Like we can't even get the woman's name right. Right. Yeah. You know, I was, I was reading something from Elizabeth uh, Schussler Fiorenza recently, and she talks about how, you know, so much of um, even the early records we have of the church, including the gospels themselves, are the result of this patriarchal culture. And so there's more there than we realize. And it, as you said, it's just, we, we can't even write it down right. You know, it's like, oh, her name doesn't matter. You know, even though Jesus <laughs> said, we'll remember her. Like who, who's in charge of that? Doesn't matter, you know? And it's just, <laughs> just fascinating to think about. Yeah, it's kind of like, there, oh, you know, all those Marys, they're all the same, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's, and and despite the, patriarchal nature of the times and the texts themselves there's so many moments of women uh with such significant moments in jesus life and ministry are pretty powerful yeah yeah so i just i love that whole um that just the whole scene yeah now is that the scene that is included twice, like John has that happen earlier in his gospel, like way before Holy Week, and then has it happen again later? Am I confusing that? I'm not sure. I'm not I always sure. forget. I, for, I always forget what is yeah. mentioned where because because there, yeah. you know, if there, there are a lot of differences in the gospels, but there are so many of these stories that are just alike enough. Um, around Holy Week, that you kind of misplace which one's which, but I always, I always have a little bit of skepticism around John, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, any any person that writes a gospel and refers to himself as the one Jesus loved the most, like <laughs> <laughs> he like, does talk about there are women though in yes, in John more than yeah. any other gospel. That, that is that is true. Like yes. women's voices are in John more than any other gospel. Yes. So that's he, one good thing about John. The and beloved. I like imagine, and I would like to imagine. Favorite. Yeah, there you go. I would like to imagine also that they were women at that Passover meal as well. Uh, yes. Um, and they, they were, I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't. I know that, you know, the scripture says he was there with the 12, but... You know, all the other times that he mentions the 12, we're pretty clear there were other people around uh, too as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Written written out of the story, so to speak. But I, I do like that the lectionary text for Easter this year is is John's account, which includes Mary in the garden and such a powerful and rich scene. And she's given this, I don't know, sort of unique connection uh, with Jesus where he entrusts her to say, Hey, go and go and tell the guys or the gang, I should say that <laughs> I'm going to join him. But it's like, it's a woman, you know, that he meets that she, yeah. she, she's there. Because the men wouldn't have believed. I think, I think the men would not have believed. I think there was, there was interestingly enough, 
the the I, I think the greatest skepticism or the greatest desire to run away from it was was with the men. Um, you know, mm. Peter betrayed him, the the disciples scattered, you know, uh I mean Peter denied him, Judas betrayed him. It was like, come on guys, get your act together. And and I think we we still see that in many ways today with with and I'll give you the great example. Um um, our friend Hugh Hollowell, who runs Loveman's Ministries, I always jokingly refer to uh, his setup as Hugh and his harem because he always, always has women working and volunteering with him. And, and they're young women, and I ask him, why is that? And he says, because the women are reliable. The women are the ones who show up. Many men are willing to say they want to say yes to it, but they don't keep showing up. It's the women who keep mm -hmm. showing up. And um, and I think we see that in a lot in church too, regardless of, you know, if your denomination doesn't ordain women or not, more often than not, when it comes to being in service and being in compassion and loving and walking the walk, it's the women who show up more and more than the men. So kudos to you women. All mm. right. Mm, could be a show title. It's the women who keep showing up. <laughs> so we want to talk a little bit about spiritual wounds, and we want to hear a little bit, Carol, from um, what inspired you to write a book about spiritual wounds and people being hurt by the church, and um, yeah, maybe an anecdote or two about that. And then we're also going to bring in our friend Tony Placido, a poet and uh friend who wants to uh, share some of his own experience so welcome in tony want to welcome him in a minute uh, can we unmute tony yeah i should unmute tony to our to our own detriment <laughs> wait <laughs> are, are you did i did i do it wait how do i do that now i muted him no i can't unmute him why aren't you, why aren't you or did you mute yourself give can us I, a sign can you hear me now oh, oh there, hear you. there he is welcome tony can i introduce my beer Please do. What are you drinking? Drinking a local Northeast Minneapolis brew called Fair State. Well, the brand is Fair State. It's their DuPont, which is a Saison, and it's delicious. Sounds great. Nice. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome. I'm glad we overcame all those technical difficulties. We, that's, Holy we'll cow. Talk about that. We'll talk about that in the after show, in the post show. Speaking of wounds. Oh, man. <laughs> So, so Carol, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write a book about this. And and I, as I see it, looking in from the outside, I, I feel like people are resonating with what the stories you're telling. So, tell us a little bit about the book and how that came to be. Yeah, well, I was I was walking along uh, in a museum one day, and I was with a friend who is agnostic um, slash atheist. You know, kind of on that that that. Uh, yeah border there. Yeah. And, and so she was asking me about why I became a Christian. And so I started telling her a little bit about my background or not why I became a Christian, why I became a pastor. So I started telling her a little bit about my background, which has to do with the fact that um, I, had, I had a, a dad who was violent and he would use kind of the church teachings to um, to really excuse the violence or even maybe even 
as a fuel for his violence. He believed that men should be the head of the house and the authority and and if we weren't in line um, with him, then then uh, there was abuse in our home. So so I told this story, and she was like, "Carol, you're you're telling me why you would not become a minister. You're not telling me why you would become a minister." Right. And yet, I realized that as she was pushing me, um, and as she just kept asking why, I realized that even though that was going on, there was also this sense of, I didn't have any place to go. You know, I tried to go to the church. I tried to go, um, uh, you know, tell friends about it, tell neighbors about it. Nobody would really believe me what was going on. And the only thing I really had was I could pray about it. And, um, and that sounds a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm not at all saying, oh, if, if you're being abused, you should go to Jesus. Um, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that in my particular situation, um, uh, having a spiritual life like praying was what saved me in, in that way. And not in the sense that, you know, it, it it made me stay in the house, but in the sense that it gave me the strength to leave when I could. So, so there was this like particular sense of even though there was so much um, abuse going on and it was connected with religion, there was also religion was this thing that was saving me. So I was really interested in in that um, in that intersection where, you know, religion hurts and it also is healing in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, and you know, of course, as a minister, I was I served churches for I don't know almost twenty years, I guess, and. Um, and I would just keep running into people. Like when you're a minister, a lot of times your people with the same problems start coming to your church or, or you know, it, it's this yeah. weird thing. You find that? Like they say, like, like attracts like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, that. <clears throat> you're like dealing with the same thing. And, and yes. so then people, people just somehow figure that out and and they become attracted to uh to your church so so that would happen and so i started working with more and more people who either had experiences um like me with domestic violence or they had experiences with uh, uh clergy who um, molested them or they had experiences with um God and country really being wrapped up in their mind, or they had experiences with purity culture or um, experiences as gay or lesbian uh, people. So, so there were all these people I was working with who had the same sort of wounds and, um, and just, you know, started writing this book a long time ago. Actually, it was was probably 10 years ago wow. that I started writing it. 
and um, uh, or almost ten years, maybe nine. But um, and then just kept writing it and rewriting it, and rewriting it. Uh, but but uh, so yeah, that's 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 the story. Mm. Um, I want I want to read a quick um, passage from your book here and let you respond a little bit. Um, and, and then I'll bring bring Tony in to talk about his experience. Um, so it's on page 42 and you write, here is the crux of spiritual healing. The reason religious wounds can cut so deeply is that they carry the weight of God with them. In some way, we have felt that God was behind what wounded us. So the first step in spiritual healing is to learn to love God by separating God from our experience of being wounded. Speak a little bit more about like, how that process could look because for me it's it's um the the way i understand it is not that god is behind mm -hmm. it but even in it um the, uh the, it's a weird way to say it, but but god is in it like there's there's no absence of god so as much as it's hard to understand or or even or even wrap your mind around um when horrendous things happened god's in 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 my view god's never absent from any of it so so say a little bit more about that distinction yeah i think for me um uh so a lot of people will go through bad things and they want to find some meaning in it Right, and, and there's this problem, theologians call it theodicy, right? They're trying to figure out why if God loves us and God is all powerful, why do these horrible things happen to us? And so they begin to try to make sense of those three things and, and they might say, well, because God's behind what hurt me, God wounded me, um, God, God's the person who, uh, who hurt me. And, um, or God's, you know, the force and meaning behind what hurt me. And so I think what's, what's uh, important to realize in that is if I have to take those three things and I'm fudging on one, it's going to be that God is powerful. I'm going to have to say, you know what, God is loving. Um, I'm not sure that God has complete power in this situation. I do believe that God is um, is present, like you're saying, uh, but but as far as God being in total control of the situation, that's where I would like to fudge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you there. Yeah. It's, it's like the only thing that makes sense to me, you know. And I don't sound like a very good Calvinist. There, <laughs> no, no. there you go. We won't tell. Mm -mm. That, that's okay, so, good. As, as <laughs> earlier, Jesus beat people with a whip, so I think we can get um. <laughs> <laughs> We're okay. Um, so, I want to so introduce my friend, uh, Tony uh, Placido. Um, I've known Tony for a few years, and um, I'm going to let his tell his own story. But um, suffice it to say, he... And if I'm wrong about this, Tony, correct me. But even in a oh, union church, you got turned off. <laughs> and and you know, unity churches are places where you know there the only thing there is 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 love in God, no retribution, God, no vengeful God, nothing. But it's still church um, for all that 
all that means. And um, you were turned off from church for, I think, a variety of reasons. T well, tell us your story. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sure. Okay. So I want to start off by saying that's a real wall behind me. Um, okay. That's from the earlier show. <laughs> that's fired. That's fired. Um, so uh, I, yeah, my grandmother was a minister in unity. So I was introduced to unity as a young child. Uh, I started going when I was three and never went to another church for any real reason at all. Um, and I was raised up through YOU and all of that. And YOU is probably one of the best times I ever had, and that's Youth of Unity for those who don't know, um, which is the high school age group. And then as a young adult, I tried to spearhead a movement to get young adults involved, which was the NGU movement. And that's when I met Ogan, um, was doing NGU. And during that process, my church here in Minnesota, one of the ones here, asked me to be a part of finding a new minister. There was some stuff that went down and the old minister was asked to leave. And so they asked me as a young adult representative, as well as some other people, to go on a search for a new minister, which is a pretty common practice. And through this process, which took about six months, we watched a lot of wonderful videos and a few awful ones of people <laughs> doing services. And in that process, we, we finally found the minister that we all loved as a group. And I thought, this is great. And unfortunately, there was a, a faction in the church that really liked the interim minister. And the key word there is interim minister, ministers who are not allowed to stay. And so they pushed out this new person within a year. And I basically flipped out on the entire board um, because I have been at that church longer than everybody who was in the room and said, you know, the politics of this place has gotten too much. I can't understand why you even had us do the search committee if you're going to try to keep the person. I um, meaner phraseology to that day. Um, but that, that, and as well, politics, I guess, is the moral of the story that has sort of pushed me out of the only church I ever knew. And I'm sure that other churches have the same problem. And the, for some place that's supposed to promote love and acceptance so much that it always, from that point on, it just felt like this this nice sort of duvet blanket that they put over going on and I couldn't, I couldn't feel past it. And, and I can't there for sure. I still go every time I go to Kansas city, which is a lot, I still go to unity village. I still feel a part of it. I still feel my grandmother who was a minister who passed away recently. And I, I still understand it. And if I was ever to go back to church, that would still be where I would go because as much as a lot of doesn't make sense to me, mostly because they're so earth centric, um, that, that one still makes the most sense to me. And so, um, that's my experience in a whole was more dealing with politics and that scorched my spirituality. Oh Yeah. I can, I understand that completely. And that was one of the big criticisms of um, the book because I wrote kind of like 
okay, well, here's conservative theology and um, here's liberal theology. Once you, you know, once you become liberal, everything will be okay. <laughs> That's a little bit how I presented it. And there were like a lot of people who read it and said, wait a second, you know, that's not, that's, that's just not true. And uh, you need to come out with another oh, book. Don't, don't burst my bubble. <laughs> I'm still living into that truth. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're right. People suck, you know. And, and so, what do we do? You know, spoken like a true Calvinist. I know. I was going to say that's where I am a Calvinist, right? I think, but I think you know, we just found the. I think we just found the opening clip for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we do terrible yeah. things to each other. We're, we're no like, title. We do. Yeah. It's true. We do. And my, and I, my, I my books that. are. Go my ahead, my books are mostly about how people suck. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, and, the best of religion, the best of what we do is help people not to suck so bad. But but unfortunately, you know, and, and, and that's the beauty of religion, right? We, do, we take thousands of years of wisdom and we package it up and we try to be better humans. Um, and and that's kind of the best of us, right? But then but then we get into these little power plays and these dynamics, and we yes. try to have these fiefdoms, and we you know, and and it just gets all ruined. I've read so about this uh, new new UCC church in Chicago that includes a, a part of the service where somebody sort of shares a personal story of of failure or pain or whatever, and they call that part of the worship the one time I did something shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and and they said it's really been a powerful draw to people because of the honesty. And I think one of the main one of the big reasons a lot of people are leaving church is because it doesn't feel honest. You know, we gloss over our lives. We come to church and things are good and you're good, I'm good, God is good. Yeah, but I, I love I, that convey yeah. metaphor. That's that was beautiful. Well and and the the not feeling on it, like I have the ministers that I like. I know a lot of people in unity. Um, I'm in town where one of the ministers that I like is speaking. I will go to church. I'll get up early on a Sunday, even though I might have been out till three in the morning on a Saturday, and I will go to church. Um, but it's more because I like them, mm -hmm. and I know they're honest people. And unfortunately, there has been too much from the people I didn't know, or even the ones I thought I did. And what's even worse is the church that I have here that I don't want to go to anymore. I know the minister at that church, and I actually like him. And But I'm just so scarred by that building that I actually helped build. And it's, so it's it's really weird. So, Carol, what, what do we do about what do we do about people in church? Like, and I, I, and I say this kind of tongue in cheek. I, I like to say, you know, this, you know, everything would be perfect if people weren't involved, but, <laughs> but we have, we have people in our churches and they bring with them who they are for better, or for worse. Even, even we as ministers, I mean, we are ministers are far from perfect. I mean, you know, the laundry list of headlines of ministers who messed up in big ways, you know, mm -hmm. we, we spend, we could spend a week talking about them. Um, and, and, and we as ministers make mistakes as well. So what, what, what do you do in, in a situation like, like this when it's like, you know, there, you, you have so much of who you are invested in a place mm -hmm. 
and all of a sudden the it seems like the place doesn't seem invested in you and you know how, how, how do you reconcile that i know i know for some people they they pack up they leave they go find another church money and and but i also like to say wherever you go there you are so not to throw you under the bus tony but at <laughs> what point at what point does an individual take ownership of this is my work to do to process through this uh well at any point the the thing about it is i don't feel like there's something missing and and I guess you don't, you shouldn't only go to church because you feel like something's missing. I get it, but I don't know how to reconcile that those two things. Is that, yeah, I could process it and go back, but why? Yeah, yeah. yeah why? That's a good question. What do we say, Carol? Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really, you know, like my my uh, day job is. Um, helping churches brand themselves, trying to figure out like what, why people would go to the church, trying to figure out the message, you know, like I spend all day long, you know, trying to um, coach people through, through these questions. But really I didn't write the book so that people could go to church. You know, if, if you're doing better without church, then that's okay. And I think God thinks that's okay. But when you get to the place where, if you get to the place where you really want to reconnect, then um, then that's kind of more where I'm I'm looking at. But but Tony, it sounds like you you feel this strong connection to your grandmother. You feel a strong connection to spirit. You feel a strong connection even to your tradition and to many of the ministers in your tradition. And it, it's just this, it's just this organization that you're, you're frustrated with. Is that correct? Yeah. For the most part, I would say that unity as a whole hasn't exactly done me a lot of favors either. And not that unity has to do me favors. I'm not saying that. And anybody who's ever spent any time around unity worldwide or, whatever they decide to call themselves today um, knows that there's a lot of shots fired. <laughs> there's a lot of, <laughs> well, it's true. Every time I go there, they're like, no, that's not what we're called anymore. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> um, and so, but they don't understand the resources they have, I guess, to put everything in a super nutshell, I have ideas or things that I could have done, especially when I was heavily involved in next generation of unity yeah most of those things were blatantly ignored mm -hmm. if not shunned and that was that so not only did i get pushed out of my church by my i pushed myself out of my church i get it but i feel like i was also set aside by the overall organization as well and i still bring people to them i still bring people to unity village when i'm in kansas city and say have you seen this place because it's amazing and ever find that reconciliation, I'll take it. I'm not, I don't have this wall up and say, here it is, but I don't know that that's going to come. I hope it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing is just, uh, you know, nurture that 
opening until you're ready, you know? Um, but of course, sometimes we just need time away and, uh, what happened to you sucks. So it just, uh, you know, you use that word a lot. Yeah. Not normally <laughs> just not right normal. now. <laughs> this, podcast, this podcast brings it out in her, but you Is know, the, the, yeah, the, yeah. the thing that, it, the thing that I really honor and respect what you've done, Tony, though, is you've made it about relationships. So you've you said like you know the 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 structure political whatever administrative of this church is not working for me anymore in terms of the choices they're making, but you still have your connections and relationships where ultimately I think is where you find God in the relationships. You know, you and I are still friends. You were very close with with my late wife Jennifer. You still have so many people within unity that you're connected with that that you can i mean that for me that's your church your church is the people that are still in your life and you know when we all hang out together that's that's our that's our worship service um so so again yeah we're not going to go into details about that though no we know <laughs> what, happen, what happens in church stays in church um yeah. So, so, so I think it's, it's again, this uh, reconfiguring and, and I understand your disappointment with, with unity as an organization. I, I'm a uni minister and I got my list too. I don't think there's any minister that doesn't have a list of how, you know, the, the organization has, has disappointed in some way. And I always remember that unity is young. Unity is barely over, what are we, 125 years old as an organization compared to you know, like Methodists compared to Lutherans compared to Catholics. I mean, we we are we are we are really still finding our way. As speaking of babies, yeah, speaking of babies, as a denomination that's trying its best not to be a denomination. You know, it's 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 a real it's a real dichotomy. So there are gonna be mistakes made. There's gonna be learning curves and and bumps along the way. And yeah, it's it's so go ahead. Oh, can we talk about this generational issue? Yeah. Though, so, because yeah, absolutely. there does seem to be, and I'm, I'm, you know, you just see it over and over again. And uh, even in our larger political world, when we're looking at education, when we're looking at investment in the future, when we're looking at environmentalism, there does seem to be this inability to... Um, invest in the next generation and listen to people in the next generation. And that's what really pains me about your story, Tony, is that um, the church's inability to really listen to the next generation of people and, and take them seriously. Yeah, we got the metaphorical pat on the head and said, oh, aren't you guys cute? Yeah. And it kind of fizzled. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Next generation of unity it's still going, but we had a sort of international team going too that was going to be sort of an overarching group that would filter down to all the individual regional groups and so on. And now there's just the regional groups because we weren't supported in the way that we needed to be supported. And, and, and let me, and I'll, I'll speak to that. And I will say that, that the change that has happened is. Part, part of that was really because the ministers themselves weren't ministers of younger age. As I was explaining to you, Carol, in the pre-show, um, for so long, 
the vast majority of ministers were like retirees, six season over. When I was ordained in 2011, which is not that long, I was there. You could count on you could count on one hand the number of ministers that were like 45 and under. I think 40 and under. You know, they weren't young ministers because of the way the the seminary program was structured. And that has gone through a lot of changes. And now we have much younger ministers who are being ordained and coming into the field and who are paying more attention to young adults because they're still kind of young adults themselves. And it's bringing a, a, a better face um, and transforming the ministry I think in a way that was long overdue to Tony's point, but, but I think they realized the error of their ways because, you know, they literally began to ask themselves, we need to do something different or we're going to age out. We're going to age ourselves out of existence because if all our ministers and our congregants are in their sixties and seventies and we're not bringing in fresh blood, the movement's going to be gone in, you know, 20, 30 years. And I know there are other movements that have this experience as well. So I'm really glad things are changing and, and they are younger ministers in seminary who are being ordained and going into churches and doing things differently. Brian, do you experience that in your denomination? That's a good question. I, I feel like my recollection, uh, and I've recently switched denominations from the Christian Reformed Church to the United Church of Christ. So um, the wild bunch. When I, uh, the wild bunch. When I was in seminary, the thought was we that sort of what Ogan was saying. We had so many older clergy who were retiring, and we were going to have all these vacant churches, and we didn't have enough people who were going into parish ministry. We had a lot of people in seminary, but they were kind of like, well, maybe I'll teach, or maybe I'll do this, or I'll go on to graduate school. But not as many were saying, I'm going to commit to parish ministry. And so the thought was, will we have enough? Now I'm hearing from friends who are in seminary that there's a lot of seminary grads and they're not sure where the jobs are. So it's kind of interesting how in such a, and I graduated about a dozen years ago uh, from seminary. It's just interesting how in that short a time, it feels like things are shifting. What, what's your experience in the, in the Presbyterian church? Well, it looks like about um, 75% of ministers are in their 60s or older. So um, within the next 10 years, you know, or five, 10 years, there's going to be a huge exodus. Okay. So the big question for us is, well, will the churches close at the same time as the ministers leave? Or, um, yes. or are we going to have like a crisis shortage of ministers? Um so that's that's kind of the big question about what what what's going to happen, and you know, but we we haven't been investing in younger generations. We just haven't been doing it. We haven't been doing the work. We haven't allowed them any real power. We haven't, um, you know, we just um, I, we just haven't allowed real power. And, and what are you experiencing in terms of clergy burnout? I think that's another challenge is that when people do go into ministry, they get in these intense situations that often aren't healthy. And ministry is hard, even in the best of settings. Yeah. What, what are you seeing on those lines? 
Yeah, there's either burnout because people, you know, are in these really difficult organizational systems that have been dysfunctional for a long time, or there's also just boredom, you know, uh, <laughs> they're not yeah. like clergy aren't allowed to do anything different. They have to do everything next week the same way they did it last week. And, and so yes. clergy get, I mean, that's kind of a different kind of burnout, right? Yes, you know, exactly. You're not allowed so, to so killing burnout. burnout. Yeah, yeah, and there's no creativity. I mean, you can have a little can, bit with preaching, but what were you going to say? Well, and go ahead, Tony. Okay. Um, well, I was going to say that that was one of the things when I was doing NGU Next Generation Unity is that we we actively tried to talk to ministers to try to reform their services because the services, if you went from Unity to Unity, Unity for the most part they were the same they were announcement there was announcements there was music there was music there was the talk there was the offering and then there was more music and it it was basically the same all the time and now as i watch because now with live streaming everybody's doing it you watch more and more services especially by some of these younger ministers that ogan's talking about including ogan's i watch ogan's service a lot too and it's music one you know like just more modern music even if it's the same message they're doing they're mixing it up even if you take the meditation you throw it after the talk just mixing it up <laughs> just makes yeah. all the difference in the world do something different <sighs> you so know tony yeah. you're you're connecting in different a lot of different ways if you're still watching services well i don't watch when ogan's not there but yeah <laughs> Ah, don't, don't say that, dude. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> so, so here, here, I'm not sending you any checks either. Yeah, yeah. We we'll talk about that later too. Um, <laughs> so here's here's a bigger question though that I have that it's a difficult question for me to ask, and I'm wondering if it's a difficult question that for you can hear. You know, it, in Ecclesiastes it says there's a everything has its season. You know, time to sow, time to reap, time to live, time to die. Turn, turn. Do you believe that about church too? That church has a season, and perhaps we are approaching it's a long season. It's been a long season. Are we? It's are like a baseball we, game. Are we approaching a time where maybe church has, you know, in the culture of the world for the last two thousand years, and speaking to specifically more like you know, Christianity, has it served its time? No. Has it served its period? It's beginning to you know, go the way of the dodo. No, and, oh. no, here's, here's my explanation why I, why I would say no. And I'm not a minister, but the, the reason why I say no is because human beings will always want to connect with other human beings for the most part. Um, and that is a set time and a set place where people know they can connect with similar minded people for the most part, I guess I could add for the most part to the end of everything I say, but and so in that sense, I don't think it will die and I don't think it's run its course. I don't think that that will ever run its course. I think they just have to keep understanding who their audience is yeah. and what will make more people come and what's making people not come. Yeah, the if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it doesn't really apply to isn't isn't really a good because well, it is model. broke. <laughs> And that's the thing to realize to realize when it is to realize when it's time to to make a change to realize when it is, um, you know. 
and and so often so often we run into trouble because we want to maintain quote unquote a tradition we want to maintain a heritage and and in many ways that (laughs) tony's not a fan of that but in many ways you're right that looks like let's do it the way we've always done it as opposed to you know what, what 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 do the rituals represent let's take those out and find some new ways of delivering um the, the the core the core message there including the idea of it is okay to show up when all's not good it's okay to show up when you don't feel well it's okay to show up when you know you've had a setback and fallen on your face that that you know so many times there's this there's this implicit and sometimes explicit uh pressure to you've got to do it right if you don't do church right or you don't do the the, the tools right then you, you shouldn't be here. That's yeah, exactly. and I and be. I would also say, as Carol noted, that it's okay if you don't show up. You know, and exactly. I really appreciated Carol that you said that you didn't write the book so people could go back to church. You know, it was more about acknowledging the wounds and seeking healing wherever that might be found. And um, that's something I've said about pub theology since I first started doing it was that you come to these conversations, it may lead you to church. It may lead you away from church. It may lead you closer to God. It may lead you to a different understanding of, of meaning and identity and all of that. And that's okay. The important thing is that you're open and willing to learn and willing to grow and willing to be intentional about your life and, and go where you find wholeness and healing and good relationships and, you know, I think sometimes we kind of want it to be everybody's back to church and and it's all good and I I got a lot of pushback when I first started doing it like well why are you doing pup theology if it's not to go to the bar to get people to come to church yeah people couldn't wrap their minds around it you know but I think we have to be open that we need to be the church in the world we need to be good human beings in the world yeah. don't they like fun like. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead Carol Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's like, you know, we're called to love people and that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And, uh, and if it's, if people can't go to church, if they've been too wounded, if, if it hurts for them, if, um, there's been pain in their lives and it's better for them to, uh, to stay home, then if that's where they need to be, then that's where they need to be. And that's all part of loving people. And and can I just say, Tony, also, you know, I, I've seen it happen more than a few times where an interim minister goes in and decide they want to stick around. That's on them. Like, that's irresponsible. I'm not, you know, throwing anyone under the bus here, but that's irresponsible ministry. Like, if you know that your job is to be an interim and that's when you got hired to be, you got to realize that you're doing this church harm. This church that you say you love so much, you want to stick around. You're doing the church harm if you stick around. Like, like, take yourself out of the equation. Um, you know, I I don't like to cast blame a lot, but I, I blame the minister for that. And at the well, same time, realize they're, they're having a human moment. They're having a moment of attachment. They're having a human moment of, I, I found a place um, I was only supposed to hear for X amount of time, but I want to stay. And and, and they, they love me. And they love me. Yeah, that's the hard thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and they, well, they get and they get suckered into that 
but ultimately it's it's on it's on them they've done the church the injury and and well in in my conversation with with that minister was long and detailed because i was intimately aware of what an interminister does because i didn't really meet my grandma until i was about 10 years old because she was always out doing ministry at some other place Uh and so um that it was it was a weird conversation it was a weird day and they're doing the church harm i agree and i i told her as much actually but i was a 24 year old kid who didn't know anything yeah 24 year olds 24 year olds know a little bit they're optimistic (laughs) they're driven and and honestly they're not as jaded you know you know i'll give millennials a hard time for a lot of things but if there's one thing they're not yet is they're not yet jaded because they haven't been around long enough to be jaded so 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 really I harness that authentic enthusiasm and zeal is is you know yeah some some something we got to pay more attention to i've said enough well, this has been a yeah this has been a great episode friends i'm just wondering if there's any final Final word of wisdom, uh, Carol or Tony, in that order? Oh, in that order? Oh, I'm just going (laughs) to... No, I just, uh, yeah, thanks so much, Tony, for for sharing your story and your life in that way. I really appreciate appreciate hearing it. And and I hope all the best for you as you go forward. And uh, whatever shape your spiritual life takes it sounds like you're you know you're in that that like precious place of realizing what's important and also being able to identify what's not healthy about your religion so so i commend you for that uh, i basically express myself through my my books these are mine and in my titles of yeah your- let's see them we couldn't really see or actually the first one is called sucker punch wisdom which is why i held this up when you were talking about wisdom earlier and uh, sucker punch wisdom was a poem a poke of poems that i did with three poets or two other poets from kansas city when i lived in kansas city nice. and then my latest book which came out in december is called aging and other side projects which is nice. because i'm over over 40 now and i don't like it at <laughs> all <laughs> there we go too funny too funny thank you for listening friends uh to pub theology live please connect and spread the word on social media you can listen to our fine program anytime on soundcloud stitcher or itunes and you can find or create a pub theology conversation at a local brewery or pub in your town and there's info at pubtheology.com and you can find a group there there's a directory and if you don't see a group near you, there's tools to start your own. And we want to welcome Poor Theology. That's P-O-U-R, a new group meeting in Reston, Virginia. So check them out if you're... Hey, it's my old stomping grounds. Yes, the old uh, Metro DC area. Yeah. So check them out there. And thanks again to our sponsors, Craft Beer Cellar, who you'll find at craftbeercellar.com and Wink Wine Club at trywink.com slash ptlive. That's Wink with a C. And don't forget, leave us a message at 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830 to win free gear from Casual Priest. And thank you again to our guests, Carol and Tony. It was delightful, and we hope to have you back again soon. 
Thank you. Thank you. And so until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. Thank you, Carol. That was awesome. And oh, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Um, I'm so awesome. Also awesome. So, um, so quick question for you, Tony and Carol, if you don't mind sticking off for like two more minutes. Um, no problem. I got all night, baby, all night. So, so, <laughs> so to put you on the spot a bit, Tony, um, you know, and that whole idea of the book not about getting back to church, but getting back to God. Um, I'm going to make the assumption that you never, you never left a relationship slash connection with God. Is that a, a fair assumption to make? And if so, when you had the experience that you did at church, did it, did it affect how you saw God, how you perceived yourself with God? Did you, did it, did it, did it affect that? Did you have to come back to that or, or did that stay solid throughout that whole experience? Yes, then no. What I mean is I was so tied so tied to the notion that you are tied to God or want God, you must go to church to obtain that. Right. And so when I decided that I'm not going to this belief in church anymore, I don't have that strong of a feeling anymore. But at the time that's that literally what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I was like, Well, I guess that's that then um i do have a hard time balancing still to this day my relationship with god the more i learn about space and that seems weird but Uh. because god is a human construct god religion is a human construct and it's all based on this planet and this planet isn't even the center of this galaxy let alone the universe and so it just becomes too much to think like we're to to fit into people's definition of God, most people's definition of God, you have to think that we're important and we're not important cosmically <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah, that p- pale blue dot can put things into perspective, uh, certainly. Well, we may not be important, but I think we're relevant. <laughs> oh, semantics, are we? Okay. <laughs> isn't isn't that what life is? I mean, isn't it really all about semantics? I mean, talk uh, about the church and religious experience. It it kind of does end up being being an experience of of semantics. But but yeah, I, I I get I get what you're saying. I hear that struggle certainly. Uh, if you spend much time, as you said, thinking about the the vastness of the cosmos and our little very minuscule corner of it it does kind of blow your mind and and think well what does that mean are there are there there's no there there (laughs) there is there you know a hundred other planets and other solar systems and are we just kind of one thing and do they all have their own jesus or do they have something totally different uh their own buddha or whatever uh but it is it becomes increasingly difficult to think yeah we you know this religious thing that we have is somehow it i don't know just opens me up I, I think it's a it's metaphor. A funny, 
I think is a metaphor for it. I think I think God is uh, one idea of understanding God is a metaphor for it all. I mean, all of it, the vastness, yeah. the universe, the what holds the universe together beyond that. I think I think that's in many yeah. ways, you know, we get to the point. Where and that's realize. that's why I said yes to no, because that's sort of the no part is now that's what I've done is sort of turned to an energy, for lack of a better word, uh, a collective consciousness, uh, something. And yeah. and and I use it to to fuel me. And I, you know, I speak out loud all the time to quote unquote God and I search for guidance. I search for where energy is taking me. And so I, I believe that. Okay. And Carol, I got one more question for you. Um, yes. And as you work with churches in terms of helping them, like you said earlier, shape their identity and, and really get them to um, figure out who they are. Do you talk about, the potential for the churches to cause harm and wound their congregants inadvertently. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times we are talking, um, I work with a lot of UCC churches and so, um, they need yeah. all the help they can get. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so we, we often talk about, and, and, you know, I'm sure that's the same way with unity. A lot of people go to UCC churches um, because they've been wounded somewhere else. And so um, yes. not, we talk more about like it being a healing space. So, it, it, you know, as far as if you're open and affirming, make sure that people know that you're open and affirming because there's so many people walking around um, who have been wounded in so many difficult ways, um, or if you're, you know, if you're open to questioning, or if you're open to, um, you know, just just many of the the profound hurts that people have gone through. Um, so so we look a little bit more on healing uh, rather than wounding, um, unless you know it's a church that's in the middle of a major crisis mm -hmm. because they've been wounding people. Yeah. So, but the, well, yeah, the wounding comes up automatically because right. there's always people getting hurt. But yeah. How, how, how do we, how, and I'm asking this as a minister, how, how do we as churches, how do we help ourselves to realize that we're, we're causing wounds? Cause sometimes we're, we can't see the forest for the trees. We are so far in it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I think like making space for people to be honest and making space where people can actually talk about it because we're so defensive, you know, like we want to defend the church, we want to defend the institution, we want to defend our position. And so when people come to us and say, you know, this really hurt me, oftentimes we we end up gaslighting the person. And yes. um and instead of saying, yeah, I can see why that would be really painful for you. I'm really sorry that happened, which seems like such an ordinary thing to do. But it's, it's fascinating as I've read or as I've written this book, people will say, well, um, you know, why are you bringing all this up? Isn't that just like wounding the bride of christ by or you know <laughs> yeah. by by bringing all this up and and it's like well, 
No, I nope. hope we can reconcile, you know? <laughs> Got to expose it to light before the healing can happen. Yeah. And I think you're right. We're, our, our default as people who are church leaders is defend the institution, defend right. the church. And like you said, just so powerful to just say, and I'm really sorry. And we really screwed up and I'm, you know, yeah. And then not, not, not move into that defensive posture. I would say that the, the other side of the coin, the congregate side is what they can realize is the best analogy I have is that the best stories there are watch is where the antagonist of the story is not actually evil. They just, what they need and what they think is right, hurting those around them or is actually not for the greater good, but their intent is good. They think they're good. They think they're doing everything great. Those are the best stories and, and congregants have to realize that as bad as a minister might seem, and this took me a long time to figure out, they're probably bad. They have a differing road than yours. They're going in a different way. And just because it doesn't make sense to me, doesn't mean it's actually evil. Mm. yeah yeah well you know whenever people are involved it's always going to get messy at some point exactly people suck people (laughs) suck show title (laughs) people suck all right thank you guys i then got to call it a night they're also fun and you two were great yes enjoyed it much thank you both thank you for having us on i really appreciate it yeah you too i enjoyed it as well we're covered and And I'll see you in June, Ogan. All right. Looking forward to it. All right. Have a good night, everyone.